You are listening to the podcast of the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. CBMW exists to promote the Bible's teaching on men, women, and marriage. Learn more at cbmw.org. The Danvers Statement summarizes the need for the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood and serves as an overview of our core beliefs. This statement was prepared by several evangelical leaders at a CBMW meeting in Danvers, Massachusetts in December of 1987. And in this podcast series, we are walking through the Danvers Statement line by line as we discuss the statement's biblical basis and ethical implications. I'm Colin Smothers, Executive Director of CBMW. My name is Denny Burke. I'm the President of CBMW. On this episode, we're picking up in the rationales, and we're going to be covering the last two, nine and ten, of the rationales for the Danvers Statement. And these rationales, uh, according to the Danvers Statement, demonstrate uh, the purpose and sort of the concern that went into the drafting of this statement. It says, we have been moved in our purpose by the following contemporary developments, which we observe with deep concern. And this is rationale number nine, the consequent threat to biblical authority as the clarity of scripture is jeopardized and the accessibility of its meaning to ordinary people is withdrawn into the restricted realm of tech of technical ingenuity. So this follows on the heels of last episode, we were talking about hermeneutical issues. Um, and really it turns out those hermeneutical hermeneutical issues are, are concerns about the authority of the Bible. No, it really is because it people don't like to hear this, but it really does have to do with the perspicuity of Scripture. Is is the Bible clear to us when we read it? Um, generally, we we believe that it is. That doesn't that doesn't mean that it doesn't require work sometimes to understand the original setting, to understand what the original author was trying to convey, and we often do bring baggage to our reading of texts and can distort it with the baggage that we bring to the text. But having said that, it is the is the meaning of scripture accessible to ordinary readers or not? Um, and it's a real problem if uh, you've got texts that have been interpreted in a pretty consistent way over centuries and centuries and centuries. And then all of a sudden in the 20th century, in a narrow portion of the West, a small group of scholars are basically saying, what people have understood this to mean for centuries and centuries and centuries in different languages and different translations, it's all been wrong. Hmm. And only now about 2000 years later, do we have the real interpretation? So for example, in first Corinthians chapter 11, where Paul is addressing gender norms in worship, essentially, Paul says, I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man. And the man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. Now, traditionally, every you look through the history of interpretation, when people read that word head, they understood it to imply whatever else it implied, it meant it, whatever else it denoted, not implied, but it, it talked, it meant authority. It was talking about the fact that God has an authority over Christ, Christ has an authority over man, man man or husband has an authority over wife. That's what headship was. And then you come into the 20th century and you be in the latter half of the 20th century, you begin to see all these clever reinterpretations of the term. No head doesn't denote authority. It means source hmm. so that God is the source of Christ in the sense maybe of eternal generation. Christ is the source of man in the sense that 
he's the creator. So he created man and man is the source of woman in the sense that uh, the woman was taken from Adam's side. And so it just means source. There's no idea of authority here. And that's the way you should read that text. Well, what does that do when after 2000 years of interpretation, you introduce this brand new thing that hasn't really entered you know, into the discussion, um, not in a major way until this late in the game. And you're just an ordinary reader of scripture and you're reading what the Bible says about headship. And all of a sudden it doesn't mean what the English words, you know, seem to have said that it would mean. Um, that's a problem because it, 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 it teaches English readers to think they can't trust the words on the page. It teaches them that their English translations are basically unreliable on some big issues. Now I teach hermeneutics and I talk about translation theory all the time. I understand all of the complexities of what goes into translation. And I understand um, what a translation is. And, and so I'm, I'm not naive to those realities. I'm just saying that our goal ought to be to make the scripture clearer to people, not to um, render it, to this restricted realm of scholars who are the only people who can really read it. And if um, it, it would, in a lot of what goes on in these discussions is to teach people, they can't really trust what they're reading, hmm. what they think that means. It can't mean because it crosses up some modern notion of egalitarian equality. And th that's not a good thing. And so a part of the rationale for the statement was to put the Bible back into the hands of ordinary Christians and to say, you can trust what you read and um, your, your eyes aren't lying to you. Well, not only you can trust what you read, but you don't need a PhD to read it. You don't need to have to re have read Josephus or this historical background or whatever it is. You can read the Bible and the Bible interprets itself in a way that the Holy Spirit makes clear to you that point. I, I think another point you said, Denny, uh, needs to be underscored is that the egalitarian position is brand new with the 20th century. You don't have any other uh, practice uh, like it until that moment in time. And that alone should should give us pause, should give Christians pause, I believe. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, I think the burden of proof is on is on the innovators. And I would say that even of the Protestant reformers, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Make a That's change. Right. The burden of proof is on you, but the burden of proof can only be met if the scripture says it, right? It, it, and I think the the Protestant reformers met that burden. They, they showed that look, we're calling people back to scripture and back to something that was lost over the over the history of the church up until that point. I don't think egalitarians have met that burden. Hmm. I don't think that they have you they have um, effectively interpreted scripture to overturn what has been a, a pretty much a consensus over 2000 years of, of church history. Now, having said that, I could already hear how an egalitarian might um, react to that. They'll say, well, complementarianism wasn't invented until 1987. Hmm. Your doctrine is new too. To which I would, I would want to respond. Actually, it's, it's not, <laughs> um, uh, complementarian, that term is a new word, but it's really a term that refers to an ancient teaching. That doesn't mean that we endorse everything that was taught in the past about men and women. 
if you go read some of the things that Aquinas wrote, for example, I don't agree with everything that he said. Um, I, th- I think it was, he, he was wrong on some points, but there is some overlap between what he would say and what I would say, but I don't think he was totally right. And we could go back through the history of interpretation and we would find that to be the case. And I'm just saying that this notion uh, that headship, authority, submission, these things that are so contested now, they weren't contested previously, and a lot, and they were you could see manifestations of it throughout the history of the church, which is not the same for egalitarianism. Well, Denny, you and I are Southern Baptists. We're heirs of the conservative resurgence. Um, I think our listeners should know that you know that conservative resurgence has been termed sort of this battle over the Bible, but really the proxy battle uh, that was fought was over this issue. Um, egalitarianism, women in ministry, and they realized the people that were uh, were having those conversations or fighting those battles, they realized that the authority of the Bible here is at stake, and this is the leading edge that is causing people to not trust the way that they've been reading their Bibles. That's correct. Um, to, to not see how the authority of Scripture is implicated in these discussions, I think is to miss one of the reasons why this is such an important discussion. Again, I've, I've already said in this podcast that, you know, we believe egalitarianism, complementarianism differences. We believe those differences are secondary issues, but the approach to scripture is so important and it branches out and affects so many other issues. And the, if you learn through some technical hermeneutical move, how to set aside the plain meaning of scripture in this area, you will be able to do it in other areas. It's just inevitable. Uh, egalitarians really don't like the, this when complementarians say this, but it's just one of the longstanding differences between us. And it's why we think the issue is so important. That's right. The final rationale in the Danvers statement reads this way. Behind all this, the apparent accommodation of some within the church to the spirit of the age at the expense of winsome, radical, biblical authenticity, which in the power of the Holy Spirit may reform rather than reflect our ailing culture. Really, at the heart of the Danvers Statement, these rationales is a is a concern and a desire to, to reach people for the gospel. Absolutely. And... You know, I, I recall the words of Jesus from John chapter 17, where he's giving his high priestly prayer right before he goes to the cross, and he's praying for his disciples, in particular the the eleven who were with him after Judas betrayed him. He's praying for them and their perseverance, but then he prays for all of those who would believe in him through their witness. And what does he pray for his disciples? He prays this. He says. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you did send me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. So it's a really interesting dynamic that Jesus sets up for all believers, all of his disciples. The the instructions are our marching orders from Jesus from his high priestly prayer are, are not that we are supposed to leave the world and be separate, 
right? We are supposed to be in the world, not of the world, for the sake of the world. Um, he is we, to be in the world means that we need to be in proximity to people who don't know God, who don't believe in Him, who don't uh, believe in or, or or accept His truth, who don't accept the Bible. We need to be in proximity to them. They need to be our friends. They need to be in our lives. Um, but when that is happening, we don't need to take on the mores and the values of the world so that they change us. The purpose for our being in the world and not of the world is for the sake of the world, meaning so that we can bear faithful witness to what God has taught us. And the and the constant perennial struggle that Christians have in all ages and all times is, is this struggle not to be conformed to the world, you know, not to let this overwhelming onslaught of untruth undo what God has done in us, but rather to push back against the darkness and to be a light in the darkness. Um, so that's what we've been called to. And on this issue, this is really important because um, this is where God's revelation is in conflict with the world in our own generation. The world right now is suppressing the truth in unrighteousness, just like they've done in every generation. But in our generation, they're suppressing the truth about the differences between male and female. And this has been happening for centuries. Um, we, we have, it, it's taken a while to get to the point that we are right now, but um, the culmination of the last several centuries of modernity has led us to a point that we don't know. People in, in large part don't know what it means to be a man or it means to be a woman. They think not only are our role distinctions socially constructed, they think that our very biological nature is socially constructed. Just see third wave feminism, read some Judith Butler. They, 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 they are totally deconstructing the distinctions between the sexes that God designed for our good. And so we have to be able to stand in the face of that and bear witness faithfully to what's been revealed in scripture and that's why the Danvers statement is such a landmark statement and why we needed it and got it when we did. That's right. You just pay attention to history through the 20th century and the development of feminism. And it's no accident that the development of Christian egalitarianism uh, goes right alongside uh, that development. And what complementarianism, what we're trying to do here at CBMW is simply say what this rationale said, we do not accommodate to the spirit of the age. The spirit of the age does not set our agenda in the church. It's the Holy Spirit that sets our agenda, and we find the Holy Spirit's revelation in the Bible. Resources like the CBMW podcast are made possible by generous donations from listeners like you. Please consider giving at cbmw.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening.